Acts chapter 18 is where we are today. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Acts 18. Last couple of weeks we've been looking at chapters 16, 17, and now again into 18. We're looking at Paul's second missionary journey. Last week we completed chapter 17. Today we begin chapter 18. Follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, After these things, he, that being Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized." Verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Last week, we left Paul in Athens we had mentioned when we looked at that, that Athens in its history, in its glory days, was once the capital of the known world, but since Rome had overthrown the Greek empire, Athens was just a shell of what it formerly was. Paul shared the gospel, and we talked about that on Mars Hill with the intellectuals, and we looked at that last week. Well, Paul leaves Athens now and goes to Corinth. Corinth, at this time when Paul is here, is a huge bustling city. It's, it has got everything going on that you can imagine. It's a major trade route, so there's a lot of money and people flowing through Corinth. It was known for uh, its, its theatrical performances, even sporting events that were going on there that rivaled the Olympics. But above everything else, what Corinth was known for was its absolute immorality, its its lewdness, its drunken parties. It's, it, it, if it had a motto back then, it was, if it happens in Corinth, it stays in Corinth. <laughs> they, they actually had, when, in, in, or throughout the theaters around the Roman Empire, when somebody would be considered a Corinthian or, or they would portray a Corinthian, it was always a drunken person. It was always that. I mean, it, that, that was, it was a derogatory term to be called a Corinthian. They had the temple to Aphrodite up on top of the hill where they had over a thousand temple prostitutes where every night the prostitutes would go down into the city and find sailors and whoever else was traveling through to raise money for the temple and everything. Here is where Paul arrives after he leaves Athens. He arrives there alone and he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla who are Jews, born, believing Jews, Christians, 
They are tent makers. They share the same trade, if you would, as Paul did. Working with leather, working with animal skins, making tents. It tells us that Paul does what he does every time he goes to a new city. We've talked about this every time. He goes to the synagogue and regularly every Sabbath he's reasoning with the, the Jews that are there, the Greeks that are, are coming in, that he's reasoning with them, he's talking with them, debating with them about the scriptures. And notice he says, again, he's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the one that all of the Old Testament scriptures point to that is coming. He's saying Jesus has fulfilled that. He is the one you've been waiting for. And we see the reaction from the Jewish leaders and the Jews that are there. It says that they, they resist him, even to the point of blasphemy. And Paul's reaction then, he gets to this point where he says, I can't do this anymore. I, I have shared it with you. I have laid it all out. And so that, that term, I'm shaking the dust off of my clothing, that means I'm, I'm putting that down. It's on you now. I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, that does not mean that Paul gave up on them, that Paul somehow has lost his love for the Jewish people. Not at all. But he came to that realization and that understanding that sometimes you and I need to get to when we continue to share the gospel with people and they continue to resist, that there's a time that we have to say, okay, and God will reveal that to you as he did to Paul. It's time for me to leave this now, continue to pray, and move on. And then can, the Lord might open that door back up again, but we need to be obedient as that is, and Paul does. And it's interesting that when he does, look at this, the same God who closes some doors opens others. And I love this. This is almost comical. The door that he opens is next door. <laughs> A lot of commentators believe that, that this, this house that he goes to, Titus Justice's house, actually shared a common wall with the synagogue. You want to talk about that? That's really, you know, even hearing what's going on. While the, while the, the next door, the, the rabbi is probably trying to share and worship music's going on next over in Titus's house. Well, interesting when I think about that because, again, we share, we share those common walls, don't we, with our neighbors in our neighborhoods. And what are our neighbors hearing? I remember, and we're going to talk a little bit, I'm going to reference a little bit this morning about Calvary Chapel Surprise and the work that God's called us to do here. But I remember back in the beginning when we were still meeting in the school, and we used to have the men's Bible study on Tuesday nights at my house. And it was really neat. We, had a, we were blessed at that time to have this big covered patio in our backyard. And it, it, we, we got to the point where we had 40, 50 guys showing up at a Bible study in our backyard. I mean, you could, parking down the street around the cul-de-sac, it was, it was neighbors complaining. But the, the one thing that, we, that was asked a few times was, should we tone down the worship? I said, no, 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 let's crank up the worship. <laughs> I want them to hear it two blocks over. And, and we were praying for the people on the other side of the wall that they would hear that and, and come to that. Well, they, no doubt, as they, are, as they are proclaiming the gospel and worshiping the Lord, we see the effects. Notice first Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his whole family get saved. And many Corinthians. Remember the Corinthians, we talked about them. The, those, those that have this the immorality, drunkenness, every, going on all around them, many of them come to faith in Jesus. Many of them look around and say, God, there has to be more than this. This can't be. This can't be what life is about. And then hearing about eternal life, hearing about life in Christ, many come to faith and are baptized. A lot of things that we can look at here, but I don't know about you, but 
when I read through this the first time, something jumped out at me from the first time I read through it, and every time through, I had to keep coming back to it. You see, it tells us in verse 9 that the Lord speaks to Paul in a vision, and look what it says. It says, do not be afraid. What does that mean? Paul was afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have this vision of Paul in my head, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually. I'm, I, this, he's got a cape on in my head. He's Superman. There's like nothing that bothers Paul. I mean, we've seen what he's gone through. We've seen the, the beatings he's taken. We've seen all of this stuff. And somehow, in, in my mind, and sometimes I get that where, man, he was just like untouchable. Fear never got to him. But Jesus said, he was a, do not fear. That means Paul was afraid. And Paul confesses his fear. He states it to this church in Corinth when he writes to them in his first letter to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In weakness. Paul confesses to them that when I arrived in Corinth, I was worn out. I was tired. I was just... That, that word weakness means it's a physical draining. And then in fear, the Greek word there, phobos, where we get phobia from. Intense fear. And he doesn't just leave it at fear. He goes on and says, and much trembling. Paul says, when I got to Corinth, that's what I was feeling. And I don't know if that's confusing or comforting to you, it was both to me. Because how many of you have ever felt like that? Well, if you're not raising your hand, you're either too tired to raise your hand or you're afraid <laughs> to raise your hand. So, <laughs> because we've all been there. We've all been there. There's no doubt many of us, even here right now, feel the same way. And it's interesting when we look at this. And we understand, what again, what Paul is going through. Because, guys, when we experience fear and we express that to the Lord, we then encounter his faithfulness. It tells us, Paul will write to Philippians, in the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He says, I'll supply all your needs. Now we can look at that, and many people do, when speaking of like financial or physical needs, but it goes way beyond that. It says all my needs. And Paul, at this particular time, he didn't need anything necessarily financially. He needed something way more than that from the Lord. And God, in his faithfulness. And I want to tell you that I have experienced that same thing. I've experienced God's faithfulness when I have come to that point of my recognizing my absolute weakness and my quite on, being honest with the Lord about my fear. Because we can, we can try to suppress that as Christians, right? We can feel like, well, if I'm a Christian, if I have enough faith, I won't have fear. And we can somehow try to put that all off. And let me tell you, a lot of it has to come back to how do you view Jesus when he says, do not fear? 
In your mind, when you hear Jesus speaking to Paul and to his disciples, as he said many times, do not fear or fear not, how do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do not fear. That's enough to make you scared right there. (laughs) Or do you hear Jesus saying, fear not. Don't, Don't be afraid. You see, we see God's faithfulness. And I've experienced it just as I see it played out here for Paul. I've experienced it myself. First of all, look at verse 2. We see that God, in his, in his riches, supplying all our needs, supplying for Paul, and will supply for us, notice verse 2, special people. Aquila and Priscilla. These aren't just random people that Paul just happened to meet. Notice again, they're Christians in Corinth. They're tent makers. What does Paul do? What does he know how to do in the past? That's that's his trade. They weren't from Corinth. They were living in Rome, and and they had to leave Rome and end up getting there the same time Paul is there. See, God's not doesn't work in coincidences. God knew what Paul would need. And so he sent Priscilla and Aquila to Corinth to meet up with Paul. And it doesn't record for us here, but I know Paul to be a man of prayer. And on the road to Athens, from Athens to Corinth, I wonder if his prayer wasn't a lot lot, lot like my prayer was at times. Lord, I'm worn out. And I'm really scared. There's way more ahead of me than I know how to handle. Would you... Would you bring some people alongside me? I mean, I, I, know that, I know that I left a couple of guys and they're going to be catching up to me soon, but they're not here right now and I'm all alone in this thing. See, five years ago, it's been five years, God called me to pastor Calvary Chapel Surprise. And I'm going to be completely honest with everybody in here, I wasn't anywhere close to being ready. And I'll be straight up with you, I'm still not. I was, I was scared to death. And my wife will attest, she was right along with me. We're like, God, if you're calling us to do this, you're going to have to bring along some, some people with us. You're going to have to bring them with us. And God was so faithful in that. Meeting us there, and he continues to. I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm going to single out too. Because I was... I was praying for, for a long time that God would bring along a worship pastor. Somebody not just to lead worship, but to pastor our worship teams. And long before I'd ever heard the name Brad Eberly, God was working and moving and has totally blessed me <laughs> by bringing Brad and Mary in here. Coming alongside and way more than a worship pastor Somebody that I can come along and we do ministry together and come alongside together. I just, my heart was just warmed as I was reading this this week. That's what God did for Paul. That's what God did for me. And that's what God will do for you. He's faithful in that. And by the way, he might want to use you as a Priscilla and Aquila too. You might be saying, God, I don't understand this. I've talked to, I was talking with some people the other day and they're praying about being called possibly to Michigan for a move and they're thinking, this, you know, we don't really quite understand why God's laying this on our heart. And I'm thinking, might be Priscilla and Aquila. 
God has a Paul there that's praying for you right now, even though he doesn't know what your names are. God's so faithful, bringing special people. But notice also, verse five, bringing specific provision. It tells us that Silas and Timothy show up from Macedonia. And it tells us that he was, they were bringing with them, they brought with them financial gifts from the churches in Macedonia so that Paul didn't have to do the tent-making work anymore. He could devote his time full-time to that ministry. But I'll tell you what, the blessing that came from that provision went way beyond the financial piece of it. It was the fellowship piece. It was the encouragement piece. As they show up and they're sharing with him all of the good things that are going on, all of the things that have happened that since, since Paul has left and the churches as they continue to grow, and encouraging him on in the work of the ministry. Can I tell you how important that is? To encourage those in ministry? To come alongside and, and just share, say, hey, man, we're praying for you, or just a word of encouragement. You know, there's an old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's, words hurt, but they also lift up. They also build up. And many times, many times, I can't, I can't even begin to guess a number where my wife and I will be sitting together, talking, sharing, having coffee in the morning, and she'll be saying, you know, she was just, she was really feeling down or she was really feeling, you know, just worn out. And one of you sent her a card or an email or just said the right word to her after a service. Can I tell you the hardest job, the hardest job in the church, in my opinion? Is a pastor's wife. <laughs> she, 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 has to, she has to carry every burden that I bring and I just dump on her. And she, she is a prayer warrior for all of you and for me. Expectations that are placed on her, whether purposely or not, she's just carrying that. And at times, along with that, and then taking care of our home and our children and grandchildren and all that, she gets worn down. But then it's so uplifted by somebody coming along and saying, hey, we're praying for you, or God bless you, or just that kind word, that card. Let me just say, if somebody is laying, if God lays somebody on your heart, I'm not saying everybody go see my wife after the service. I'm, but if somebody, if God lays somebody on your heart, would you follow through on that? Would you, would you reach out to that person, phone call, email, just jot them a note, send them a card? Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Parents, every parent in here, this is just, I'm just telling every parent in here who dropped your children off in children's ministry, when you pick your child up, would you thank that worker that took care of your child today? Appreciate what they do. Appreciate those. And there's so many, there's so many things that go on in this church, ministry that's happening behind the scenes. You don't know about what's going on. The ushers, the greeters, the security team, the setup and teardown team, the cleaning ministry, all of these things. When you hear of anybody that's involved in ministry, thank them. And by the way, if you are involved in ministry at Calvary Chapel Surprise in any capacity, I want to thank you. Thank you. Because everything can't happen without it. Amen.
What goes on here can't happen without what you're doing. And you are loved, and God bless you for your service. Well, we see special people in a specific provision, but verse 10, guys, here's, here's the most important part. Look at the spectacular promise. And the promise isn't, hey, hey, Paul, buck up, little camper, the sun's gonna come out tomorrow. The promise is, I am with you. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the sovereign God Almighty said to Paul, I am with you. And he's with you as well. The Bible says, he said to us, in his word, he declares to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And guys, let me tell you that that's the, that's the greatest security that we have. Whenever we face fear, whenever we're weak, whenever we're at our lowest, whenever we're there, we know that promise that he's with us. Remember back at the beginning, right after, just two months after God called me here, I'm just, just trying to figure out how to even get a sermon put together every week. And we had our men's retreat. And we had a, a speaker at our men's retreat, somebody that I looked up to greatly. And just so blessed that God had lined that up way ahead of time, and he's, he's there. And I shared with him all that was going on and everything that was on my heart and how I was so concerned about things and things I was worrying about, and I asked him if he would mentor me, if he would kind of bring me along. And he said, absolutely, he'd love to. He prayed for me, and he said, you know what, I tell you what, in a few weeks, get a hold of me, and I'd like to have you even come up to, to my church, spend some time with me, and, and that type of thing. I'm saying, praise God, thank you, Lord. Well, let me tell you, a few weeks later, when I started calling, week after week after week, I never got a call back. And I was upset at first, I'll tell you, honestly, in my flesh, I was like, so what was that all about? But one day, the Lord spoke to my heart so clearly. He said, the reason he's not calling you back is because if I allowed that to go on, you'd be looking to him instead of to me. I'm the one who promised that I will be with you. I'm the one who's going to lead you. You need to look to me. I'm convinced. I am absolutely convinced God deleted every one of those voicemails. He never got it. <laughs> because God said, I know you, Brett. And you're going to look to him. And you need to look to me first. Prophet Isaiah records the Lord's words for us. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Guys, his spectacular promise carries with it this supernatural protection that we will never fully be able to understand or embrace. He is working and doing things beyond what we could possibly understand. He says, I have many people in this city. Paul, you might think you're alone. You might think it's just this little group of you right now, but I have many people in this city. No doubt the Lord even referring to those that don't even know they belong to him yet. <laughs> I have many people in this city. 
I believe one of those is even one that is, doesn't even recognize God. But God says, I'm going to use him to show you, Paul, that I'm in control. Because he says this promise. Notice, it says, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. But now let's look at verse 12. It says, while Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would be reasonable, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about the words and names of your own law, look after it yourself. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. So here we see it happening again to Paul, right? He's, he's proclaiming the gospel. The Jews grab him. They take him in front of the governor. This is like, here we go again. And did Jesus misspeak? Did he not understand? We, you know, Jesus said this wasn't gonna happen. No, Jesus said, no, it wasn't gonna harm you. And here we see them brought in front. Of it says, just as Paul's about to open his mouth, Jesus says, I got this. <laughs> Gallio says, I don't need to hear this. This is your matter. You take care of this. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Guys, God knows how to take care of our defense way better than we do. And when we allow him to, he steps in and intervenes for us, especially when we are at our weakest, when, in, when we're in that place of greatest fear. Peter will write, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. The Lord judges righteously. He has this whole thing thrown out. Paul now, it tells us, is, is free. And this guy, Sosthenes, he's the leader of the synagogue now after Crispus has become a Christian and he's worshiping next door. Sosthenes is raised up now as the leader. And because he's the one who brought this in front of the, the governor and it's been thrown out, kind of made them all look foolish, they start beating him up. You know, Paul, in that first letter that he writes, and we've talked of this before when we've looked at Paul's letters, at the beginning of the letter, you write, you, you, it's kind of reverse of what we do now. Instead of putting the, your name at the end of a letter, you put your name at the beginning of a letter. And Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, called in his apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Sosthenes becomes a believer and then follows Paul in his ministry. He's with Paul as he's later then writing the letter back to Corinth. Wow. Sosthenes, this man who brought Paul in front of the governor, wanted this all taken care of. He gets beat up for it, and he sees Paul, and he sees Paul's reaction. Again, we don't know, that. did Paul come alongside and minister to him? Quite probably. Paul probably came up to him because he's been like that. He's been beaten up like that, and I know how it feels but I also know how it feels to have somebody take care of your wounds. Let me do that. 
Let me help you with this. I know, I guarantee, I know Paul prayed for him. Probably prayed for him every day. But this one who was bringing the accusations, who was coming against Paul, Paul praying for, becomes a believer. Jesus says in John chapter, or Matthew chapter 6, You have heard that it is said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Remarkable thing. Sosthenes, becoming a believer. Well, verse 18, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with them, or with him, were Priscilla and Aquila. In Cretria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. He set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian regions and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Here we see Paul leaving the area now of Corinth, sailing on to Ephesus. It tells us, though, that before he left, it says he had his hair cut because he had completed a vow. Now, many commentators believe it was a Nazarite vow that Paul had taken. The Nazarite vow said that you touch absolutely nothing that comes from the grapevine, no grapes, no raisins, no wine, no grape juice. You don't touch anything dead, no dead animals, no, no humans, no, nothing dead, and that you don't cut your hair. Now, this is not, Paul's not doing this for some legalistic reason. He's not doing this out of obligation, but Paul is doing this for consecration. He's doing this to set himself apart. It wasn't because he had to do it to please God. He was doing it to set himself apart even more, similar to what, how we might look at fasting. It's not something that we have to do to somehow please God. It's something that we choose to do. And as Christians, should be something that we do to set ourselves aside for God. That said, I want to hear from God about something more completely or clearly. And setting that aside for consecrating purposes. Well, we see now that Paul goes to Ephesus from there. Remember back in chapter 16 when we were looking at this, Paul wanted to go to Ephesus, but it said the Holy Spirit forbade him from going. Now we see him going on this longer route around, coming back to Ephesus. And again, here we see just the perfect picture of God's perfect plan, his perfect timing, because it tells us that Paul now leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. When he wanted to go there the first time, they weren't with him. God has a plan, and sometimes we don't understand why a door might be closed. Now, it seems to make sense. God, you, uh, obviously you want this to take place, or it must be in your will for this to happen. And it very might well be, but he's saying not yet. And here we see it coming around full circle, coming back to Ephesus. And it's interesting, I think, because he stays a year and a half in Corinth. He doesn't stay anywhere near that long in Ephesus, a very short period of time, actually, leaving Priscilla and Aquila there. They're saying, please stay. And he says, no, I have to go on, feeling no doubt the Lord calling him, leading him on from there. And I love this too. Notice he says, they ask him to stay. He says, I'll be back if the Lord wills. He's understood this now. He's embraced this truth that it's God's will that I'm after. 
I desire God's will to be done. Mine, (laughs) off the table. God, what do you want? Following the Lord, he returns to Antioch, his home church, with no doubt the great report of all the things that are happening. We don't know how long he stays there, but Luke doesn't cover anything else. Immediately it tells us that away he goes again onto now his third missionary journey, going back through again the same churches that he had done this last time. Notice it says strengthening all the disciples, sharing with them from the word of God, encouraging them. Again, there's that word of encouragement coming along. Verse 24, back in Ephesus... where Priscilla and Aquila are, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to, and when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had been believing through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. We're introduced to Apollos few things to just touch on. It tells us that he knew the scriptures well. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, and he knew how they pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. They knew how Jesus fulfilled all of those things and how Jesus paid the full penalty for our sin. He's sharing that with the the Jews in the area. Notice it says that he speaks both with enthusiasm and accuracy. Guys, both of those are so important. When we're sharing what we believe with others, it's so important, first, that we're accurate, that we share the whole counsel of God, the whole gospel with people, but that we also do it enthusiastically, (laughs) like we really believe it. (laughs) He was doing that, many listening and hearing, but notice, he still had more to learn. Because it says that he only knew the baptism of John. Water baptism, the baptism of John. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we spoke when we studied through that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The the power that comes through that to, to fulfill additional ministry. The ministry that God has specifically called you to do. And here we see another thing in Apollos that is hugely necessary. We see enthusiasm, we see accuracy, but we see coachability. He receives this. He could have easily pushed that off and said, you know what, I got this whole thing going on. Look at the crowds listening to me. But he heard and he received. And now being baptized in the Holy Spirit, understanding fully, it tells us that they sent him back to Achaia, the area of Corinth, that area up there. And the ministry now, as it continues to spread, God growing his team and and sending them out. Well, we will pick up next week in chapter 19, if God wills. (laughs) But I want to close with this just as we're closing up our Bibles. But I want to speak to anyone who might be here this morning who really is going through that 
time of weakness. Maybe you're just really, just quite frankly, sick and tired. Or facing some things that are ahead of you that, that honestly have you afraid. That honestly, if you're going to be just totally straight up and you don't have to be with me, but with God, that you're, that you're full of fear and trembling. I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus. I want you to have a fresh vision of Jesus because, again, he is telling you right now, do not fear, but he's telling you in a gentle voice. He understands what you feel and why you feel it, but he's telling you, fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm, I'm drawn to the, the story of Jarius synagogue official in Capernaum. Jesus, one day, when he was walking through the town, he came up to Jesus because his daughter was dying. And he said to Jesus, would you please come to my house and heal my daughter? She's dying. And Jesus agreed to go. But on the way, as he's on the way, another woman reaches out who is sick. She's had this issue of bleeding for years. She reaches out, touches Jesus. That moment, she's healed. Jesus, recognizing that that takes place, stops. And he turns and he engages with her and talks with her. And and then as he's beginning to now go back, following Jairus to the home, word comes from the home saying to Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore, she's dead. But Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will live. I just I have this picture in my in my head again of how this plays out. All of a sudden, the world is g- going crazy, saying saying it's all over. She's dead. But Jesus grabs Jairus's face and looks him in the eye and says, "Don't listen to that. You listen to me. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And if you believe, I'll take care of it." Whatever you're going through right now, whatever the world is screaming at you that's got you afraid, and guys, the world's full of stuff that should make us afraid. (laughs) But Jesus, if he is your Lord today, he is saying to you, don't be afraid. Look at me. Don't look at the world. Don't look at your circumstances and your situations. Look at me. I am with you. And I will make it all right. You just trust me. I will never leave you. I will walk every step of this with you. And by the way, I have many people in this city. You're not alone. I will provide for you everything you need from my abundant riches. That's the word of the Lord for you today, if that's you. Would you stand with me? As we worship here in a moment, if you need prayer for any reason, if you want to pray about a specific issue that you're facing in your life and you just want to share that with someone and you want to pray, our elders will be up front here. We'll have prayer team members up here. We'd love to pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to know that your sins are completely forgiven and you, can, you know that you have eternal life, we'd like to pray with you about that as well. So as we worship here in a moment, I'd like to invite any of you who need prayer for any reason to please come forward. We'd love to pray with you up front here. Would you all bow your heads with me? Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that glorious truth 
that you promised that you will never leave us, never forsake us. It doesn't matter what the mountain is in front of us, Lord. You promised you'll go through it with us. You will go over it with us. Lord, you'll move it out of the way if that's your will. But you promised you'll never leave us alone. And Lord, that promise alone is worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we do ask that you would bring special people into our lives to help us walk this path that you've set before us. Lord, that's, that's your desire. Your word tells us to bear one another's burdens. When we do that, we fulfill your will for us. We fulfill your law. Lord, would you bring along that specific provision, that, that thing that we need just when we need it. But Lord, as we've said, we hold on to and we worship you for that very special promise that you are with us. Lord, as we worship you now, we worship you from clean hands and pure hearts. Lord, we know as we do that and we worship you for who you are, that that is a sweet aroma to you.